Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Good morning, Christ Fellowship. How are we doing? Good, good, good. It is an honor and a pleasure to be with you this morning sharing the word of the Lord uh, with you. As you know, this year we have been going through the Bible and we have been stopping at each particular book of the Bible and taking a look at it with different sets of eyes, right? The word of the year is dwell. And so as we go through the books, we, we bring the word to you on how God dwells with us and particular principles of the word dwell in that particular book. And so we've been talking all the way through, and last week we had a special guest, but this week we are landing in the book of Esther. And so Esther is a fun book. It's a hard book. Uh, It's a very interesting book. Uh, And so Esther reminds me a lot of what it is like to live an ordinary life like we're living now um, and have God work through ordinary events. And so when I think about living and working and life and stuff, I always go back to my childhood, right? And I have in front of me here this particular game. Has anyone ever played the game of? Anyone? Yes. Oh, man, I think I'm dating myself. So the way that this game works is you like start off in the beginning and you have a a little vehicle, right? So you get to pick a little car. I'm going to take these guys out for just a minute. And you go and you start spinning this wheel. Anyone want to play with me for just a minute? Anyone, anyone, Chiota, come on up. Come on, play with me for just a second, just a little bit, right? And so we're not going to, like, really, really play it, but we're just going to, like, mock play it, right? And so Chiota, she spins the wheel. Just spin the wheel. There you go. Just and it's, and it's going to land, and you have the possibility of either picking a career or going to college. What do you want to do? Oh, well, she's, she's, well, you can get money in both. So what happens is you end up landing on a space, and you get to pick a career card. So let's see what you get. Musician. Very nice. You like music. The mathematician that likes music, right? And so there's like a bunch of different things. There's teacher. This is like the 2023 version, right? They have like a vlogger in here. They have influencer. They never had any of those when I was playing this game. Politician, engineer, right? So you kind of like keep spinning and now you get a chance to pick your house. So spin the wheel just just for fun. Just go for it. You know? Yeah, she gets an eight. Oh, it's, it's a good number for you. So let's pick um, which house you're going to live in. Let's see where you, what, what you got. So 
suburban home. A suburban home. Very nice. Very nice. So you have like beach hut. You have got cottage. You've got a boat over here, you know, a dream villa. That's pretty good. Pretty good. And then as you go through the game of life, you also have these action cards, right? And so things can happen to you. You can have a baby. You can get married, right? And different things happen. You can spin the wheel. Go for it. Go for it. So let's see what you, I, I mean, I, I don't know what that first one is, but, you know, read it for me. Lightning strikes. Oh, boy. So lightning strikes her, and now it says that there's a hole in your roof, and she's got to pay $20,000 to the bank for repairs. I am so, so sorry. Let's, that one's not a good one. Let's try another one. Just go, go in there deep. <laughs> what do you get? My food truck side gig is a hit. All right. So she, she gets 20000 She gets the hole. She's got a food truck there. And so the, the game kind of goes all the way. And at the end, you hope to kind of like retire well and not go bankrupt. So, so that's kind of like the game of life, right? So thank you, Giotto, for coming up and playing with me. You did really, really well. So what happens here, though, is that this game of life, we, as we're kind of going through it, we, we sometimes get stuck in our life, right? And we, we, we think about questions like, you know, why am I here? Or, or what's my purpose? Or is there a God? Um, is God real? How do I know if there's a God? And how do I know if he's real, right? So these questions as you're kind of going through this game of life in your little car, right, kind of come up. And, and I want to tell you today that God is absolutely real, and he's here, and he speaks. And as you go through your life, he speaks in many different ways. But what I want to do is I want to kind of go through four main ways before we get into the book of Esther of how God speaks. So if we can get that slide behind. And so I'm going to call these God cards or God action cards, right? So I have them here. And the first one is, this is a fire emoji, right? And so God speaks through appearance, right? So we've read in the book of Genesis and in the book of Exodus, right? He comes and he walks with Adam and Eve. He speaks through Moses and through a burning bush, right? We have Paul that gets knocked off his horse with the blinding light. The Lord speaks and appears to him, right? The Lord speaks to prophets and the prophets speak back his word. The the Lord speaks and appears. So that's one way as we're kind of moving through um, uh, that God works in our lives. The second thing that we see as we're walking through our, our life is that God speaks through maintenance, right? So I have the little tool over here now in, um, in, on, on the card. And so what this means, and, and the book of Job really kind of talks about it, and we're going we're gonna to go into that in, in actually next week, um, where God talks about raising the sun and the moon setting and the tides and the animals. The fact that we wake up every morning and we're breathing and our heart is beating, God is maintaining all things in the universe. We see this as we look into the stars and we, we sit by the ocean and we see the sunsets and the sunrises. That is evidence that God is real. So that's the second card, right, Uh, that we go through. The third way that God works in our game of life is through interference. So I've got a little uh, construction sign over here. And so God sometimes interrupts 
natural things in a supernatural way. When we go and we read the, in the book of Exodus, right, where, where he splits the Red Sea, that doesn't typically happen, but the supernatural is interrupted. He, he goes in there and he splits the sea, right? So sometimes you, we, we read about the miracles, right? He interrupts the things that are natural with the supernatural, and that is God interfering in what could be, and he does that often in our lives. But the fourth thing, and this is where we're going to stay here in the book of Esther, the way that God speaks in his cards is through, the, is through providence. And so providence, the word providence, pro, I, I know I'm a teacher, here it is, it's coming out, right? So pro means before, the deer means to see like video, right? So providence is like to see beforehand, right? And so God, oftentimes, I have a glove here because he takes this event and this event and this event that happens in your life and he kind of like puts it like in the blender and his purpose comes out. And so you wake up on a Tuesday morning, you might not know that something's going to happen. And he takes that event on that Tuesday morning and works it in your life, maybe five years later. And God's hand is in everything. And that's what happens in the book of Esther. What's interesting is that the word God is never mentioned in the book. But God's hand, his fingerprint, his whispers, it's all over that book. And so we're going to spend some time kind of working through it. And so Esther takes place in the time of exile, right? So, so the Israelites, they, they, they did not follow God. And so as a result, they were exiled. They left Israel. They were taken over by the Babylonians. The Babylonians got taken over by the Persians. And now they're in ex- exile. That's where Esther is set up right now. And so what happens is there's King Cyrus, and he says, okay, Jewish people, you can go back to Jerusalem. And some people did, right? Remember Zerubbabel, right? I I talked about that last year. So they go back, but some people stay. And the people that stay is this time period that we're kind of written in. And so just like us, these people make mistakes. They're imperfect. They're asking the same question, where is God? How do I know? Do I see him? Is he here? Is he in this exile with us? Um, And so we're going to take a moment, not the whole time, to really talk about five people that intersect in that time period. We're going to call it like, you know, the the game of life. We have this car and, you know, maybe you put your kids in the car in the game of life. We're going to make this kind of like an Uber share so we're going to have like five people kind of come in. And if I can have that slide um, up, right? So like Uber share is like when you, you come in and you want to take a ride, you might have another person that joins and you've never met them before, right? And they just kind of happen to come in the car and then they jump out of the car, right? So Esther's going to take us through a journey of an Uber share with five different people. And we're going to add them into the car. And some people are going to get kicked out of the car um, as we go through this book. So First person that comes in, all right, let me get my little guy here. So this one is going to be King Xerxes, and he's going in and starting the Uber share now. So we begin with chapter one in Esther, and this is what it says. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes. Xerxes, who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. 
At that time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa. Very important. And in the third year of his reign, he gave this banquet for all of his nobles and officials. The military leaders of Persia and Media, the princes were there. The nobles of the province were present. And how long was this banquet? 180 days. That's like six months of partying, my friends. He displayed the vast of wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. So just to kind of get perspective, if I could get the map up here um, of the kingdom of Persia so you could see it. This is 127 provinces. There's Susa in the middle. And so he asked for all of like the leaders of every single province to come to Susa for six months and party. You see, King Xerxes wanted to share and show that he was the king of kings. He had it all. He didn't need the leaders to be in their provinces. He had them all with them because you know what? He killed everybody. He beat everybody. He didn't need anybody watching the lands because he was King Xerxes. He also was a little bit unhinged, my friends. So King Xerxes was known for his anger. He was known for his ability to just snap at any moment. There's a story that Herodotus actually shares with us where he commands people to build a bridge, right? So he wanted to kind of go go this way. He wanted to go west to conquer Greece. He, he, He commands people to build a bridge. And there's a storm that happens, right? And the bridge goes down. And so what does he do? He has his men go to the water and beat the water 300 times because the water was bad and then kills them, okay? This is the type of king that we're talking about. He's a little unhinged and he's preparing for war against Greece, okay? So he brings everybody together to show off his splendor. So what's interesting about this is that there's a second banquet. So if you think that six months of partying wasn't enough, he decides to do a second banquet now for seven days and invites everybody else to say kind of like, thank you for helping to prepare for the leaders. Now we're just going to like go wild, right? And so in the scriptures, it talks about how the king commands his guests to allow them to drink with no restrictions. It actually says, for the king instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man whatever he wished, right? So they're partying for seven days. They're drinking a whole lot. And then enters another person into the rideshare. Maybe not for so long, but enters Queen Vashti. Okay, so I'm going to put her kind of like here on the rideshare. She's only going to stay for a little while, guys. I'm just letting you know. And so what happens is these particular banquets, the men and the women are separated, right? So at the end of the seven days, the men begin to invite the harems and the concubines to come and join them. And so King Xerxes says, huh, I want to show off my wife. And in the scriptures, it says in verse 10, on the seventh day, when King Xerxes was very high in spirits from the wine, he commanded his seven eunuchs who served him, and they are listed, to bring before him his queen, wearing 
her royal crown. In order to display her before the people and the nobles. And historians say that he wanted her just in her royal to perform acts before the men. So what happened? Do you want to know? Vashti said no. Vashti said no. And they had this little, you know, discussion with all of his eunuchs. And his eunuch said, you know what? She said no. You've got 127 provinces that are watching this. And so if you don't write an edict to banish her, you're going to be in trouble kind of like for the rest of your kingdom. So he writes this edict. He sends it. Let's put the map back out. He sends it out. Every mayor's house, right? Every city hall to banish Vasti. So Vasti says, Sionara, she just kind of goes out of the rideshare for a little bit. And she's banished for all of eternity, cannot meet the king. Okay? So what happens? Going into chapter 2. Chapter 2 begins with the word later, after these things, right? And so I kind of pause a little bit. What, what happens between chapter 1 and chapter 2 is about five years of time. And so what I shared with you is that King Xerxes, he's a real person. I mean, he's a real king. He continued to want to pursue Greece. Have any of you here uh, watched the movie 300? I am Sparta, right? Um, There's Leoditis and Xerxes, right? Xerxes is the army that has thousands, millions of soldiers and 300 soldiers. Can I have Xerxes up so you can kind of like see him through like our, that's him. Maybe, you know, got a lot of jewelry and stuff. This is him in the movie, right? He's called the God King and he's defeated. He's defeated at the Battle of Thermopylae. He loses to Leoditis. Leoditis loses his life as well. And so he returns home. And chapter 2 begins with this scripture. It says, later, when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti, what she had done, and what he decreed about her. So he's coming back. He's remembering Vashti. He's like, man, I, I, I sent her. I banished her for all of eternity uh, from all of these kingdoms. And he's like depressed. So in his depression, the king's personal assistants come up with this like brilliant idea. The brilliant idea is this. Let a search be made. If we can put the scriptures up so you can read it while I read it. He said, when the king's personal attendants proposed this idea, he said, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king, sir. Let the king appoint commissioners, leaders, directors, right, in every single province of the realm to bring these beautiful young women into the harem, very important, a harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed in the care of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is going to be in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. And then let that young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti, right? So he literally puts people, commissioners, in all of his empire to find young, beautiful women. They're about 13, 14, 15 years old. 
and takes them from their homes and puts them in a harem. We go on in the scriptures to read, before a young woman's turn can come into King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, which included six months with oil and myrrh and six months with perfume and cosmetics. And this is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given to her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. Well, what happened is in the evening, it says, she would go there. And then in the morning, right, she would return to another part of the harem to the care of Shashgas, the king's eunuch, who was now in charge of the concubines. Okay, important. She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. So this was King Xerxes' plan, right? I mean, we we read about Solomon having, you know, 700 wives and 300 concubines. I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of women that are coming into this harem and getting treatments for one year. Okay, this is not like love is blind, right, where you go into the pod and you sight unseen and you go into the pod, you talk and you find out about each other or like, you know, bachelor and you get a rose after the date. No, no, no. You're in treatments. You get one night with the king. You go there in the evening. You come out in the morning and you go to a separate part of the harem, right? The first part of the harem was just for the virgins. That's where the treatments happen. The second part of the harem That was where the concubines went. So that means you would be in service to the king for the rest of your life. So this is what King Xerxes wanted to do. He was depressed. This is what people do sometimes, right? This is unheard of. And so enter into the story two new characters. We already kicked Vashti out. We have Mr. Mordecai and we have Esther. So before I put them in, so Mordecai, in the scriptures, we're going to go to the next um, one. It says, now in the city of Susa, a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai was there. And the scriptures talk about how he um, came from Israel and he fled because of Nebuchadnezzar. Now he's, he's in uh, Persia. So he, he comes in. I'm going to put him kind of like in the back seat, right? And in verse 7, it says, Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, who had brought up because she had neither a father or a mother. This young woman was also known as Esther. Esther, her name actually means star. She had a lovely figure, was beautiful, and Mordecai had taken Esther as his own daughter, because again, she didn't have a father or a mother. They had died. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, Many young women, it says here, were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. She was pleased and won his favor. So we have to remember that Esther, I'm going to put her in the car, and I'm going to put her kind of like in the front seat for now. Um, They were living in Persia. They were Jews. They chose not to go back to Jerusalem. And Jewish people were not allowed to marry outside of the Jewish race, right? They had to eat kosher. 
And so the scripture said here that Esther was also taken to the king's palace. And the word taken here is not like taken by the hand. It's taken by force, right? So she was taken to the king's palace, and she had to undergo these treatments and was literally placed in a position of moral compromise, I'm going to say, where she would be required to sleep with the king for one night. This is, I'm going to say it, ladies and gentlemen, modern-day sex trafficking, legalized. Here it is. Okay? And even though, and Mordecai had to watch all of it, it says in in the word that he would stand at the gates and kind of like look after her. I can just see the father's heart. He had to watch her go through this and worry about what's happening. My poor girl, she didn't have a father. She was separated from, from her mother and daughter. And now she's here undergoing these treatments, right? This had to be really difficult. But what was incredible is it says that God gave Esther favor. God gave Esther favor with Haggai, who was in charge of the versions. And he gave Esther favor with the king. And so Esther became queen. All of that that had happened in her life, she was selected as queen. And Mordecai kind of told her, he's like, listen, you kind of keep this Jewish thing to the side here. Um, You go in there and, you know, you, you do your thing, but just don't tell anyone that you're a Jew. Because that, you know, he was kind of thinking that that might bring her some problems. And so when we go to chapter 3, we find Mordecai at the king's gates. So all of a sudden now Mordecai is elevated and he's standing there at the king's gates. And he's listening in on two people that are kind of there. Their names are Big Thana and Teresh. Bad guys, right? So Big Thana sounds like a thug. <laughs> he's there and they're plotting to kill King Xerxes. So he tells Esther, Esther tells the king, and it is written about in the Chronicles. That's going to be important later, right? And so he saves the king. Esther's in the palace, and she is the queen. Enter chapter three and enter new character, Haman. Everyone says, Haman. All right, Haman's going on the rideshare. He's the real bad guy in this whole operation. So Haman gets promoted. It says, after these events, which means another several years happen. So Esther is established as queen. Haman comes into the picture, and he's elevated to kind of be like the second in command to King Xerxes, right? And so he kind of walks around the town, and part of um, his role is that as he's walking down, the people have to bow to him, right? And so Mordecai, who's a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin in the line of Saul, way important here, decides that he is not going to bow to him. This gets Haman so upset. He's like, listen, he's not bowing to me. Forget the Jews. He creates this plan to talk to King Xerxes to say, listen, we're going to have to put an edict. These people, um, the tension is brewing. They're not good people. In the word it says, these certain people are dispersed among peoples in the province, and they want to keep themselves separate from you, king. He says their customs are really different from those other people, and they're not obeying your laws. So it's really not, the scripture says this, it's really not in the best interest to tolerate them. So we're going to do an edict, and they kind of like roll this dice thing, and they say in one year, we're going to kill them all. 
literally a genocide. Okay. And so the king says, here, take my ring. You write the edict. We're going to do this. And what's interesting, though, is the fact that Mordecai didn't want to bow and all of a sudden Haman is like thinking about killing all of the Jews. Like there's something else going on in the background of the story, right? Like that's like not logical. He doesn't bow. I want to kill all the Jews. He doesn't bow. I want to kill the entire, all, the whole province, right? No. So, so Eddie actually did a really great job last year teaching on this. And I totally recommend you listening to it because he goes way into more detail. I, I only can, can do the cliff note version at this point. But what happens here is that there is a toxic relationship between Saul and the people of the Amalekites or the Agagites. So what happens is Saul got a command from God that he had to kill the Amalekites. And what happens is he kills them, but he leaves the king Agag, right? He leaves the king, he keeps some of the sheep, and he disobeys the Lord. Haman is from that Agag king. He's in that line, right? So Saul and Agag, it's like enemies, right? This is a toxic relationship. This tension has been building for years. So when he doesn't bow down to him, that's like, you know, beef coming up from years back. And now there's a problem, right? And so that's the reason why he decides to go to the king. And Haman says, listen, Saul wasn't able to wipe out the Amalekites, but I'm going to do what Saul couldn't do. I'm going to kill all the Jews. And that's what happens. So he gives them the signet ring. Mordecai gets really upset. You see him at the gates. He's, he's definitely, um, you know, they say that he's in sackcloth and ashes. He's grieving. He's like, whoa, my action of not bowing caused something. And now my people are going to die. And so he sends out a word to Esther. He says, Esther, here's a copy of the edict that he's going to send to all 127 provinces. Read it. Tells her, you got to go into the king. You got to ask for help because we're all going to die. And Esther writes back, right? This is kind of like, you know, snail mail, you know, writes back. And she says, you know, I, I haven't been asked to go to the king's court for 30 days. You don't understand. This king is not like a normal king. He's, he's unhinged at, at, at best, right? You know, do, do you not know that if I walk into the king's court without his permission, he's going to like kill me off, right? He's going to send me off the island like he did Vashti. And so, and so, and so, we know that history tells us that King Xerxes is completely unhinged. So he would have this, like, axe guy in the back of his throne that if someone came in unattended, they would literally cut his head off. Like, this is what he would do. Um, There's, again, another story about uh, him in the history books where there was one man that asked for mercy for his, he had five children and he was sick. And he's like, King Xerxes, can you please let my oldest son stay with me and take care of me and not send him out for war? And what did King Xerxes do? He took the man, he cut him in half, put him on one side of the aisle and the other, and allowed him to be a display for the Greek troops to see what King Xerxes did. So 
when Mordecai asks Esther to go before the king unauthorized, she knew what she was going into. I mean, this was like a serious, this was life or death. And so there is a pivotal scripture where Mordecai pleads with Esther. And if we can have it up, and he says, listen, for if you remain silent at a time like this, relief and deliverance for the Jews, it's going to come from another place. Because God, I know my God is faithful. But, but you and your father's family, they will perish. And who knows, who knows, but that you have come into your royal position for such a time as this. Who knows that everything, everything that has happened to you in your car, in your life, right, has brought you to this place for such time as this? Who knows that if everything that you've gone through in your life, right, you see, maybe, maybe you're dealing with, with a really crazy situation. You're like, God, where are you? Who knows if God brought you here for such a time as this? And do you want to know what Esther replies? So let's continue. Esther then sends the snail mail back to Mordecai. And she says, go. Gather together all the Jews that are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat, do not drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. So she's taking even her own attendants and they're going to do the same thing. And when this is done, I will go to the king. And even though it's against the law, if I perish, I perish. So she calls for a fast, God's sighting. Esther spends time dwelling in the presence of the Lord for three days. Right? She knows that she's got to do this crazy thing. She may die, but what does she decide to do? Spend time in the presence of the Lord fasting. And she says, go, you all of the Jews. She calls for a corporate fast. She brings all of her ladies in the the palace and they're fasting, spending time. And it is there that I believe that God meets her, maybe like that burning bush. And he speaks to her. He encourages her. He gives her a plan on what to do in front of the king. You see, Esther spends time with the Lord for three days, and she learns to hear his voice. She understands who she is. She understands that she was called for such a time as this, and she was ready to do what she needed to do. And when she goes and she stands at the beginning of chapter 4 in front of that throne room, the scripture says that she puts on her robe. And so if I can have the picture of one of the, of, of the images at the entrance of the throne room. You see, Esther is standing there. There are images of King Xerxes all around her. This happens to be real. This is real. Happens to be Xerxes 
killing a lion, right? So she's reminded that, oh man, this guy's really, really powerful. But she stands there, puts on her robe, and looks Xerxes in the eyes and walks in. She knows who she is. She is Hadassah and she is Queen Esther. She is from the Jewish heritage and she is the queen. And in that authority, she walks into that throne room, not knowing what's going to happen, but she is with the Lord. And what happens? History is changed. History. She spent time with God. She dwelt in his presence. She received a plan. She walks in with the Holy Spirit and her authority, in her gifting. And the king, he extends the scepter and he says, Esther, what is it that you need? And he even tells her that he's going to give her half the kingdom. This doesn't happen, right? And so the story continues that God's spirit gives her a plan, right? She invites Haman and she invites um, the king back for another another, uh, banquet. There are so many events that happen after that that just so happened, right? It just so happened that after um, Haman is meeting with the first banquet, he goes and he wants to kill Mordecai, right? And he's planning this out. And, 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 and the poor king is, is unable to sleep. And so the Lord wakes him up. And he's like, you know, I, I, I really can't sleep. Can you, can you get me those chronicles? You know, I need to do some light reading at two in the morning. Can you get me those chronicles? And so in comes the the man with the chronicles, and he begins reading the chronicles. And it's like, oh, he's reading about how Mordecai saved his life. Wait a minute. Mordecai saved my life like, like seven years ago, and I didn't do anything about it? Oh, my goodness. Who is in the court? Haman just happens to be coming back, right? He's happening. He's about to tell King Xerxes that I want to kill this Mordecai who doesn't bow. I just saw him. He's he's detestable. So he's coming in, and he's and he's and 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 the, the poor king is like, listen, I want to honor. What do I do to honor someone? And, and he's like, oh, well, you want to honor me? He's like, well, you know, you got to give him a ring. You got to got to parade him in the in the town. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that. King Xerxes says, do that for Mordecai. And it's like, oh. What? Haman, Mordecai is like his like rival, right? And so it just so happens that Haman ends up dying. It just so happens that Mordecai and Esther together craft a new edict. And it just so happens that the entire Jewish population is saved, right? It just, from that moment, I see Esther with her robe walking through with God's Holy Spirit all over her, looking and walking in her destiny. Everything else just so happened. I don't know about that. God orchestrated all of those things because she walked in obedience. She walked in obedience, and the rest is history. Now, God is never mentioned in this book, but like I said, he is everywhere. Using ordinary people, going through some really rough circumstances, fathers, uncles, cousins, women in harems, right? Going through asking those questions, why am I here? What is my purpose? God, are you real? No, no, God is real, my friends. And what she did was an example of what I call a butterfly effect. 
So some, some of you know that I studied a little bit of science, and there is something called a butterfly effect that was um, literally uh, thought about by a mathematician and a meteorologist by the name of Edward Lorenz. And what he studied is that if a butterfly begins to flap its wings, right, that there is a chain reaction and another chain reaction that happens with, with the, po- the molecules and the particles that continue, that cause across the world a hurricane, right? And so Mordecai and Esther's actions are like little butterfly wings. What they did literally caused a chain reaction, right, for centuries that saved the Jewish nation. It's incredible, And so maybe you're saying to me, Jen, you know, I have no butterfly wings, right? Uh, I I don't even know what God's voice sounds like. You know, I'm really, really struggling. I'm having a really hard time. I'm asking all of these questions, you know. Um, Does God really speak in this game board of my life? I mean, I just keep getting action card after action card. Lightning is striking my house, you know. I've got all these things that are happening to me, and, and, and I don't really know what to do. Well, Esther didn't either, but she went and spent time dwelling in the presence of the Lord. And it is there that she received her strength. It is there that she received the plan. It is in God's presence that she heard God's voice. And so when I look at the story of Esther, there are a couple of things, right, principles that come very clearly to me. And the first one is this, if I can get the slide up here, is that God speaks to ordinary people every single day. And he uses them for his purpose. Every day. You might think, Jen, you know, I'm homeless. I'm, I'm walking the streets. There's no way that God can use me uh, and, and no way that God can speak to me. Or I'm sick, you know, I, I'm struggling. There's no way, Jen, that God can use me. Or I'm only seven years old or I'm only 14 years old or I'm only 90 years old. I'm at the end of my life. No, 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 no. God speaks to ordinary people just like us and he uses it for his purpose. I'm going to tell you a story about a 14-year-old girl who was at a retreat, probably very similar to our youth retreat. And at the end of the retreat, there was a session where the leader brought her out, and there was a bonfire. And at the bonfire, we were given these letters to write, pieces of paper. And the leader said to, to, to the group, um, I want you to write a letter to God. So I want you to think about something, someone that you would like to spend some time praying for. Maybe they needed a, uh, how do I say, an interruption by God. And write that letter. And after the, the letter would be written, you would put the letter inside the fire, and it would be like the prayers would go up to heaven. And so this little girl wrote a letter. She wrote a letter about a boy who was very lost, a boy who had no purpose, who had no vision, was caught up with the wrong crowd, was doing things, wasn't supposed to. That boy had a heart of gold. 
And that girl wrote that letter asking God to intervene in that boy's life. Two months later, girl was me. Carlos was telling me that I needed to go to church. (laughs) I'm the girl at the retreat, writing the prayer, asking God for guidance, and that I needed to go to church, and I needed to have a relationship with God. And this 14-year-old girl that wrote this prayer in faith to God, I know, was like that butterfly wings. And he's the pastor of our church for many, many years. That prayer of the little girl on an ordinary Friday night, you know, in that letter, I know changed something. And here we are, right? We're married almost 21 years later. Um, Who knew? (laughs) Right? Thanks. (laughs) God uses 14-year-old girls. He uses 7-year-old boys. Many of you know that I have gone through some major, some, some life bumps in the road, right? Many of you know that my father was murdered, um, and at a young age, I, I lost my dad. And so at that time, I was working as a teacher in a second-grade room, and uh, I did love teaching. I love teaching to this day. I, I, I miss it so much. And um, that event, literally my car was like, wrecked my life. I stopped working called out from work probably for over a month. I remember being in the hospital room, and the first thing I said to God was, God, I serve you. How does this happen? How does this happen? And so I struggled for a very, very long time. And let's just say the class that I had at the time, they would always, I, I really liked the energetic ones, you know, like the ones that like, you know, don't like, just like sit in their seats. Like I really like those type of kids. Like I feel like I connected them. So I had a whole classroom full of them. And when the teacher's out for like a month, um, they were calling me from the school and say, hey, Jen, when are you coming back? We really need you. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't think I can come. I was literally considering um, leaving the profession. That's how, that's how bad I was. And it was the note of one of my students, a seven-year-old boy named Victor, that sent me a card. And he was struggling to read and write a little bit. He wrote four sentences on that card with an image of a cross. And he said, Mrs. Cedeno, I am so sorry. I need to hear that. I am so sorry. He said, your father is with Jesus. Because I was struggling with that, right? I didn't know if my father was or wasn't. Is he with the Lord? Is he not with the Lord? Mrs. Cedeno, I'm so sorry. Your father is with Jesus. Come back to work. We need you. Come back to work. But I knew that wasn't just work. But come back to to work in God's kingdom. Come back. That little boy said, come back to, we need you. And so I did. And so you say that God can't move in a seven-year-old boy. He had changed my world. And you're telling me that you can't hear from the Lord? That little boy heard from God, and that message came to me loud and clear. I went to work the next day. 
You see, God speaks to ordinary people every day, and he uses them for that, his purpose. Little boy Victor was in my Uber share that, during that season of my life. Point two, if I can have that up. God is always working. He's always working. He never takes a day off. He never takes a minute off. God is working. You see, God is working in every ordinary thing, right? He's working in the hair salons. He's working in what I said, the sunsets and the sunrises. He's working in office meetings, in our car rides, in hospital beds. He's working on park benches, in bus stops. He's working in schools. He's working on the streets. He's working everywhere. He's working in elevator conversations. He's working in shelters. He's working in prisons. He's working right now, ladies and gentlemen. He is always working. And my prayer is that when you wake up in the morning and maybe you brush your teeth and you're washing your face, you say to God, let me hear you. Let me be in harmony with you today. And so as I'm going through my ordinary day, may I find those moments to listen to what you have to say to me and use me. You will be surprised what God can do in your positions where you are. It's incredible. I remember a couple years ago, I had the opportunity, I'm going to say the opportunity of a lifetime to spend some time in Africa. I was in Rwanda for a short period of time, and then we went into Uganda. And so for, for those of you that may not know, Rwanda has been a country that has been in turmoil recently. In 1994, there was a genocide in Rwanda. If you've ever watched the the movie Hotel Rwanda, Carlos and I actually stayed there. There was a genocide because two people, right, kind of like the Agagites and, um, you know, uh, the Jewish people were going at it. It was the Tutsis and the Hutus. And the Hutus literally wiped out practically the Tutsis in Rwanda. This is in 1994, ladies and gentlemen. For 100 days from April until August-ish, July, um, we had 100 days where there was about 80,000 deaths. It was something like 400 deaths an hour was happening. Did you know that? 1994, not too long ago, And so I had the opportunity of spending some time in Rwanda. And again, we're going through the tours. We went to see gorillas. Uh, We were kind of with with this this gentleman, his name was Jason, in our Uber ride share, right? And so we're eating at a Chipotle in Kigali, okay? And uh, Jason, our tour guide, is like, listen, we have some extra time. I have this church. He knew that. Carlos was a pastor. I was an elder. I have this church that I'd like to take you to. Would you like to come? Sure. Let's go. So we went about 30 minutes outside of the city, if I can have the picture of the church. And so I went to Nayamata Church. Okay. And so Nayamata Church, if you do not know, was the site of where about 10,000 people were murdered. There was a priest that had heard that the Hutsus were coming. And he left the door of the church unlocked. 
And so the people, thinking they wanted to have some place to go for refuge, they went to the church. And what happened? The Hutsus came and massacred all of them. So I walked in to this church. You see bullet holes everywhere. You see skulls. You see clothes of people that had passed away. And I met this girl, Rachel. She was a tour guide in Kigali. And she's bringing us to all of the different sites. And something in me is drawn to this girl. I feel my heart beating. I feel like I'm shaking all over. Something is drawing me to this girl. And so she begins to share that her father was one of the individuals that died that day. Her father was murdered. And I begin to share. And I said, oh, you know, Rachel, my father was also murdered. And we, we talked, and we're, we're talking, and, and she's taking me. We're going to grave sites. I mean, this is, this is a very hard moment. And something inside of me says, you have to pray for her. And so, you know, this is, I'm in Rwanda. There's like MK87s all over. Like, you know, I don't know the customs. I don't know what's going to happen to me, right? And, and so we're sitting there at the end of our visit, and as clear as day, uh, God tells me, you have to pray for her and for forgiveness. Forgiveness for what happened to her father and forgiveness for the entire nation because she's going to be representing me here as the tour guide, taking people in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. And I want her to experience forgiveness as clear as day. So I'm sitting there, oh my Lord. God, give me the words. And so we did. We held hands in the middle of the office, and I prayed for that little one, for that Rachel, as hard as my little soul could pray. And I prayed for forgiveness, that she would be a hope and a light to every person, that she would share God's story and God's word of forgiveness, and that through her story, other people would be changed. You see, my Uber ride was changed that day, but I knew that God used me to minister to her. And I do not know what her story is right now, but I know in me that that changed her. And so God is always moving. And when you spend time dwelling in God's presence and deciphering and hearing that voice, God will use you in those moments too. And so we're going to go into the third point here because this was very clear to me this week. The third point is when you Spend time dwelling in God's presence. This is the story of Esther. He's going to help you hear his voice. Again, you may tell me, I I don't know what God's voice sounds like. You know, people, I saw Pastor Jim here, and he's prophesying over people. I I don't know how that operates. I don't know what, what that's like, Jen. Well, God speaks in many different ways. And so last week, I... I had eye surgery. And so in preparing for this message, I couldn't really read. I couldn't research. All I had to do was listen. And um, I listened to the book of Esther. I don't know, Max uh, McLean. How many times did I hear uh, chapters 1 to 10 and just trying to immerse myself? And I said, God, what do you want to say to your church, right? And, and I heard so clearly God, God telling me he speaks in the, to everyone everyone in all situations, that I am always working and use the story of Esther, her exact steps. 
She spent time dwelling in God's presence. She knew who she was, and she received the Holy Spirit and tell them that. So dwelling in God's presence allows you, spending time like she did with those, with those, in those three days, allows you to hear God's voice. And sometimes God speaks through the scripture, right? So you might be reading something and spending time praying, and then all of a sudden, something from the page just kind of comes up, and you see it um, with, with a different way, right? Or sometimes you hear, it, it, it's, like, it's like a sense, like how I knew I had to pray for Rachel, right? It's like an impression you have to go, or sometimes it's like, you know, don't go in that room, or don't go in that office, right? You just kind of get a sense Sometimes it's, it's a literally voice in your head and you hear a word of knowledge or a prophetic word and you can actually see or hear it. You know, the Lord sometimes gives pictures, right? Or like a scene or a dream. But whatever that is, it's always in alignment to God's word. God's word never contradicts. It always encourages. And so listening to the voice of God changes And so the Lord told me, when you dwell in my presence, you're going to hear my voice. And when you hear my voice, you're going to know who you are. So if I can go to the the next point here, you're going to know that if you walk in your identity and authority and giftings, things will change like that butterfly effect. There will be a hurricane across the room by you walking and knowing, knowing who you are, knowing whose you are, being in the favor of the Lord will allow you to walk into new spaces and new places with that authority. And when you are walking in God's giftings, things change. I love to see people walking in their giftings. I love to see when, when there's alignment, right? I, I, I spoke to Oliver last week, and, and, and actually Jim spoke to him and said, you know, God uses you because you, you see the details in things, and you listen to the details. If it wasn't for him, you could not even hear me today, right? And so he uses his giftings to be able to, to, to minister for God in his way, and he does that the same for you. You see this cross here? This cross was built by Ray Mercado. Do you know how many people have come here and have have fallen at the foot of the cross uh, because of what Jesus did? But because of his hands and, and his work, we have that as a symbol. It's using your giftings. Nothing is too small. Nothing is too small. I was at the hair salon uh, on Friday, and, and, and my person that, that takes care of my hair says, this hair salon, this seat is my pulpit. And she told me stories that she would pray with clients in the parking lot and lead them to the Lord. See, when you are being used in your giftings and your callings and you're hearing the voice of God, wow, that butterfly effect, that changes history, ladies and gentlemen. And the last thing that I need to leave you with is that you're not alone. You are not alone. You might think you're alone. You might think you're going through this life here and, and, and things are, are rocky, but you are not alone. The Lord gives us a helper. The Holy Spirit is with you. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives you that, that knowledge, that unction, that, that I should be walking in this way or not way. He gives you those words of knowledge. The Holy Spirit is your helper and he will give you the words to say in that situation. You see, the Holy Spirit spoke 
to Esther. But Esther was the one that chose to obey. So I'm going to have one last scripture, and I really want us to listen and absorb this. In John chapter 14, 15 through 18, it says, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will pray to the Father, and he's going to give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, not for a day, not for a week, not for 10 weeks, not for 180 days, but forever. And that spirit is the spirit of truth who the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he, oh, ladies and gentlemen, dwells. He dwells. This is the word of the year. He dwells with who? What does it say? He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you like orphans. He did not leave Esther, who was an orphan. I will not leave you as orphans, and I will come to you. And so, ladies and gentlemen, if you are on that Uber ride right now, and you are saying, I don't know, Jen, I'm not sure if I can see God. I'm not sure if I can understand what's going on. God just says, come. Come to the altar because I am the God of miracles. I am the God that split the seas. I am the God that was with Esther in her moment who gave her her robe and she walked into authority. So if that's you today and you are struggling, you are in a place, come. Spend time in God's presence because he is the way maker where there is no way. He is always working. He never stops working. I want to serve a God like that who never takes time off. So if that's you, ladies and gentlemen, just come. Just spend time in his spirit. I know. He is here. He is everywhere, and he's waiting for you, for his child to come. Please do this. Father God, I thank you so much that that is exactly who you are, a God that is working for his people always, my Lord. I count it an honor and a privilege to serve you, These people here, my God, the same, my Lord. We thank you that you are a God that appears to his people, that maintains the universe, that interferes in our lives and is always working, God. And even though we may not see it, Lord, I pray that we would see it. Even though we may not hear it, Lord, I pray that we would hear it, God, because you are the God of miracles. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that you come into this room right now and that you would equip your children, God. May they go into spaces and places, walking in your authority, listening to your voice, God. And may their wings flap and may it cause generations of generations of your work in this kingdom, my Lord. So I thank you that you are working. I thank you for using our church in this city to be that light, my Lord. Father God, in Jesus' name, we all pray. 
Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, everyone. Be blessed and flap those wings this week. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.